Hello, hello, and welcome to FSU Conversation, where we highlight FSU School of Communication, its students, alumni, and happenings in the industry. We're your hosts, Dani Palacios and McKinnon Bell. My name is Dani Palacios, and I'm a senior studying media communication studies with a minor in business. And I'm McKinnon Bell, a graduate student working towards a master's in media communication studies. And we're both directors and ambassadors for the School of Communication. On this episode of FSU Conversation, we are discussing moments in and out of the classroom with Professor Mark Ziegler. Thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate you coming on as guests. We're really looking forward to this interview. And we just wanted to start with a bit of an introductory question. So for all of our listeners who don't know you, could you take a moment to introduce yourself? Yeah. Yeah, my name is Mark Ziegler. I have been full-time in the School of Communication. Next December will be 30 years. Um, I came here for graduate school in 87 and knew within a couple of weeks I never wanted to leave. And so very early on, I started making the decisions that would allow me to be at FSU. That really has been my guide. Uh, I like stuff in the outdoors. I grew up, was born in Daytona, went to Stetson and then the University of Florida, and finally found this place, which is the best thing that ever happened to me personally and career-wise. Pretty outgoing, enjoy most things, sports and arts and travel and politics and teaching and anything that FSU has to offer. So that's pretty much me. Very well-rounded, I mean. <laughs> sort of, I guess. <laughs> Humble. We love it. So how did you fall into teaching? It's so funny when I read that question, fall, because I fell into it. I was in, the story's crazy, it was the first week of semester fall, or spring 89, and I was in the education department in a graduate program. And on a Thursday night of the first week of class, there was a professor in our department named Dr. John Payne. And SBC 1017, Fundamentals of Speech, there was a section of 26 students and they'd been all week with no teacher. And at nine o'clock on a Thursday night, my phone rang and it was Dr. Payne. And he said, uh, are you Mark Ziegler? And I said, yes, sir. He said, my name is John Payne. I'm in the uh, School of Communication, Department of Communication. And we have a fundamentals of speech class um, with no teacher. Have you ever, have you ever taught public speaking? And I said, no, sir. He said, have you ever taken public speaking? And I said, no, sir. And he said, what the hell? We're one faculty member short. Can you teach tomorrow? And that was it. And the next day I got up, I went to 124 Diffenbaugh to teach the class that I'm still teaching. Uh, And there were 26 students. I could name them all. In fact, here's a book that one of them wrote. Jason Altmaier, who was in Congress. He was in that first class that I ever taught, and he was in Congress from Pennsylvania, did his persuasive speech to persuade us to watch hockey. I still remember because he was a Penguins fan. Um, and then I fell into it, and I knew that day. I don't know how to, and it doesn't make any sense, but that day I knew, I thought, this is what I like. This is what I want to do. And so I fell into it, and the next semester I still wasn't in this department, and the department chair said, uh, we need you to, would you teach small group communication? Mm. Sure. So I taught small group, had a hundred people in it in the summer, still in contact with a lot of those students. So it's just been 
just the great joy of my life living. I've been very lucky and I fell into it and luckily it didn't throw me back out. So what track were you on? I did I didn't know. I wanted to do some university work, so I was in educational leadership over in um Department of Education. I knew I wanted to work with students, maybe in programming or counseling or I didn't know. Um and, and I enjoyed my work over there. I worked for Dr. Leach. Leach Center. Yeah. He was the vice president for student affairs and I worked in his office and I worked with Cheryl Reagans and Nancy Turner and all these, you know, stalwarts of FSU back at the time. And just they were just always real encouraging of anything I wanted to do and very helpful. And I mean, I've just I've been so lucky. Really, really lucky. That's wonderful. You were able to kind of fall into though what you ended up loving. Like, yes, yes. I mean, it was it was a crapshoot. I never knew what I, <laughs> I never knew what I wanted to do. I still there are times. I mean, I'm changing now. Yeah, I'm right. changing in the fall because I thought let's try this. So uh, I've been pretty lucky. Um, I work hard. And I think I'm pretty reliable, and I give my best. So and so I'm not lucky. I work, uh, but very fortunate. It's just very optimistic, I think, both both me and Danny, who, you know, I think we put in the work in graduate school, but still are very much trying to find our path. And like, oh, we're kind of interested in this, kind of interested in that, but ultimately we don't know. And it's hard. I mean, it's, it's hard to know. Yeah. It's hard to know. And, you know, feel free, feel open to changes. And mm -hmm. even though I'm still teaching, you know, the same class, you know, I've had a bunch of other classes in there, contemporary human communication. I taught mm -hmm. psychology of oral communication. I've taught interpersonal. I've taught uh, the rhetoric of, uh, it's called the hidden persuaders now, but I've taught that probably 30 times. I don't know. I've just, uh, I've just been really lucky. Taught the teaching class one, one, one fall, taught the graduate class and yeah, been great. Well, I'm going to, focus in a little bit more on your speech class in your foundations of speech class with a bit of a warm-up game exercise kind of show off your teaching skills for everyone on the podcast right so we did some research beforehand and we found that the top three introductory approaches for a speech include beginning with a personal story asking a powerful question or giving a shocking statement and this is a bit of a two-parter so would you agree with this top three list? And additionally, could you pick a topic right here on the spot and give an example of what each of these openers would look like? Okay. I would also add quote. A quote. Yeah. My, my main uh, guidance with starting a speech is don't introduce what you're about to do. Okay. Because what people very often will do is they'll get up there and they'll say, I'm just going to start my speech with a personal story. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to start my speech with a joke. That's a problem. You don't telegraph what you're going to do. You just go into it. So if I want to use a quote, I would get up there and I'd say, Oscar Wilde famously said, life is too important to be taken seriously. And building off of Oscar Wilde's ideas, let's take a look today at the importance of mirth, of humor in everyday life. So I don't have to say, so I have this really great quote I want to start with because mm -hmm. it's very sophomoric and you don't come across as a pro. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think stories are good. I can think of a bunch of different ways people have started speeches over the years that I, I always give a bunch of examples in class. One of my all-time favorites was Josh Braun in that first class. It was the semester that the lottery started in Florida. Oh, wow. And he had taped real $1 bills up under the podium. So we're waiting for the speech and he gets up there, he puts his hand up under the podium and he throws $1 bills out, says you could be the next winner of the Florida lottery. And so that was a class at eight o'clock in the morning. Everyone's like, whoa, look at all the dollars. <laughs> and I still, every time I pass a lottery billboard, I still think of Josh Braun wow. and those $1 bills coming down. Um, personal stories always work really well. Mm -hmm. um, if you were texting and driving, or if you are, uh, you teach Pilates, or if you're on the softball team, and you're going to teach us how to do a pitch, or if you are want to go into sports casting, and you're gonna you worked on a an ABC telecast, and you're going to tell us behind the scenes what was going on. The personal story always relate you relate to an audience well. So now you want to choose a topic and have me do all three of those things. You could do. You don't have to go in depth with them, but why don't you choose a topic okay. and then tell me which one I'm doing, and I'll try to come up with something okay. real quick. We'll okay. Be on the spot too. Um, so let's see. We know you love all things FSU. I do. In your introduction. I'm shameless about. So that. if I were to give you the topic of picking a FSU sporting event to give a speech on any sporting event that you about wish. oh so i'm picking a sporting event and giving a speech on okay yes. uh, how about softball? softball how about going to a softball great. game we can go with going to a softball game okay and you can make it persuasive you can make argumentative however you wish to how about a, how about persuading people to go to a softball game? i think that sounds fantastic okay so tell me what my first like my first scenario Let's which one am i begin using with a personal story Last spring, the Florida State softball team was in the regionals to play to go to the College World Series, and I didn't have a ticket. So what I did was I thought, you know, there are these people that watch from the parking deck overlooking the stadium, and they seem to have a great time. They've got <laughs> signs up, Lonnie for president, Coach Alameda for president. They've got a, a target that says, hit it here. And I thought, maybe I could just squeeze in up there. But then I heard that you have to get there early. So I couldn't get there early. So what I did was I went and parked there early and I left my car there for the day. So I took my truck to the upper level at eight o'clock in the morning. I think the game started at four or five. And so I got there nine hours early with my car, left it there and was able to uh, view a game that I didn't have a ticket for. And point being is... FSU has a great softball program. You have to plan ahead because often there aren't tickets, but even without a ticket, you can go and be a part of the festivity and the pageantry, which is FSU, Florida, Florida State Seminole softball. Wow. Fantastic. And I have seen the people that line up outside. Oh, outside waiting to get in. A lot of times I just have to call Lonnie. The head coach would say, Lonnie, I don't have a ticket. She's like, how many I need? Because she, her family lives in California. Mm -hmm. And so she's always like, I don't have any family here, so you can always take my family ticket. So if there's no takers, I'll ask her. So. <laughs> That's too good. Okay, what's the other scenario? So, so we, a story? Yes, a story. 
asking a powerful question would be our next one. Okay. All right. How about this? How many of you really miss the spirit and fun surrounding FSU football? People put up your hand and I say, well, you don't have to be neglecting the joy in your life in the spring when there is no football because we have a wonderful, not only substitute, but something that rivals and is congruent to the joy of FSU football. And what is it? FSU softball. Yeah. So that that's one way I might, would use a rhetorical question to try to get Fantastic. people involved. And then the last one is to give a shocking statement. Many of you know that FSU has a rivalry with Clemson. And in football, we have not beaten them in a long time, seven years. But you may not know this. We also have a rivalry with Clemson in softball. And how about this? Clemson University has never beaten Florida State University in softball. We have now beaten them seven times in a row. So, shocking? Well... Maybe, but for those of us who keep up with it, not shocking because that's how good we are. <laughs> See, I find that shocking. I did not know that well, at all. Well, here's what we didn't say. They've only been playing for five years. Okay. You know, but we've beaten them every time. That's I don't know if you happened. followed it this past weekend, but they were number, they're number four and we were okay. number six and we went up there to play. They have a brand new stadium. We had never been up there since they built their new stadium. They've come here and tickets online on StubHub because they were all sold out were between three and four hundred dollars to get in because the Clemson people have really taken on just taken in softball and they're excited about their team their team was 37 and one they'd won 29 22 29 straight at home and 22 in a row home and away and we went up there and beat them three times so they were 37 and one. Now they're 37 and four because we beat them twice on Thursday and once on Friday. Wow. So yeah, it's pretty cool. I know this is just an exercise to go through different uh, speech techniques and you did fantastic, but I think I am persuaded now. To oh, I know. I love them. Game. I love it. It's so, first of all, those young ladies, they work so hard. They're good and they're great ambassadors for FSU. Mm -hmm. They do community service. They play together as a family. They're, they welcome people in. They do stuff for little kids. I've watched them, you know, meeting up with little kids who are there, young ladies who play on, play softball and they wear their uniforms and, and they're the, the young athletes for FSU are just so gracious and taking their pictures with them. And, you know, Lonnie is just a woman of the community, and soon after she got here, um, it became very clear that we had a, a change agent as a leader, and she's she's changed us. Um, she's made me into a um, a women's sports fan, even greater than I already was. I was already a big women's uh, basketball fan because mm -hmm. of Coach Sue, but Lonnie brought me in in, in big ways. I'm making it official. We're taking a podcast trip. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Y'all too. It's fun. Yeah, we're going to. Yeah, it's it is, great. It is definitely happening now. That was fantastic also. Thank mm -hmm. you so of much course. for playing that little game with us. It was amazing. Is there a famous speech that stuck with you, that's inspired you, or something that you would recommend someone that's maybe a little nervous about public speaking to watch and kind to of watch? Model? Or to read. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I don't know that watching someone who's nervous watching speeches or nervous giving speeches. Mm -hmm. I don't know that watching a really good speech alleviates anxiety. Okay. I think sometimes it makes them more nervous. So if I were to say, 
are you really nervous? Why don't you watch Maya Angelou? And then you'll feel okay. worse. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Why don't you watch Michelle Obama? She's really good. You're never going to be as good, yeah. so give it a shot. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, I have favorite speeches, and most of them are really famous. I love anything John F. Kennedy did. I love Martin Luther King. I love some of the more controversial speakers, like Stokely Carmichael and... Uh, Malcolm X, even though that might not be my approach, they're great speakers. Mm. Ann Richards, governor of Texas back in the 1980s, gave a speech at the Democratic Convention, which will always be one of my favorite political speeches. Barbara Jordan, African-American woman who was in a wheelchair, is one of the best speakers I've ever listened to. Uh, I think Ronald Reagan was an amazing orator, great speaker. Then mainly, I just watch people day to day. Like, I loved to hear President Thrasher speak. I love to hear Sandy Gallenberg, a couple of presidents before him speak. Um, there are some really good speakers on campus that I love to hear. I love to hear Dr. Sally Carrieth speak in nursing. I like to hear Joe Calhoun in economics. I think uh, Ken Goldsby and Mark Curley in chemistry are really good speakers. I think Mike Ormsby in sports medicine is a really good speaker. So I don't have one particular speech, um, but if a student asked me where could I, you know, get an idea, I would tell them to go to YouTube and put good student speech because everyone posts them and watch them. And then I would have them also bad student speech. Because I don't want them comparing themselves to really good because I might make them more nervous. So yeah. you do an upward comparison, then a downward comparison. And then maybe they'll go in there with the idea of, I'm not as bad as that person. I won't be as good as this other person, but I will survive this. I will survive this. I have to say, I'm very impressed with all the names at FSU. You just listed yeah. off. <laughs> oh, well, I... You truly know everyone. Well, I don't know everyone. I, I try... I like being, one of the things I love is I like being a part of Florida State. Mm -hmm. So this may be my home, but I want communication to be integrated into everything mm -hmm. on campus. And so if I can know people in every department and work with them, so if they need something from me, I can help them. If I might need help or assistance from them on something, uh, I just see it as part of being in the, in the community. Yeah. Um, and I love that. I love paying attention to what colleagues in other departments are doing, what they're working on, and which ones are the really good teachers. That's the part that's always been a particular thrill to me because if I can go watch them and learn from them mm -hmm. so that I'm a better teacher, um, that's what I want to do. Just like researchers on campus reach out to prolific researchers and say, God, I'd like to learn how they do that. How did they get their research agenda going? And how are how could they be so like productive as a scholar and so good researchers do the same thing well that leads us actually perfectly into our next question you set us up very nicely there so good. thank you very much and so in addition to teaching courses in the school of communication you have become a central figure at fsu we believe especially in student life from everything from reading the names at graduation to serving as the faculty director of brian learning hall so I know you were talking about colleagues and researchers, but what is your motivation for staying so connected in student life? Well, I mean, what is my motivation for that? I like it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when someone asks me to do something, I always feel like 
if I have time, I think I would like to do that. So the motivation <laughs> is, I guess, if I'm teaching students to be good communicators and getting them excited in our field. And if communication is central to democracy and to democratic society, and if communication is central to community building and justice, then I should be involved in that. Not just talking about it, but engaging in the craft. Mm -hmm. So I do it mainly because I enjoy it and I enjoy the community and I enjoy meeting people with all of these various interests, etc. And then it's, I want FSU to be better. I always want FSU to be better. And that's my way of maybe making FSU better. I want people to love it here. I want students to feel that we're united and working together and care about them. And if, if, if I just say that, that's not enough. I want them to see that. So that would be my motivation. Well, and I, I feel pretty good about that too. I mean, I mean, sure. We like the attention and I, we all like attention and you get attention when you do that, but I'm not really doing it. Maybe early on I did. I like the attention. And now I, I don't necessarily need the attention. I just think it's important to do what you can to help. I really appreciate you talking about to building this sense of community on campus and not just saying it. Because right. We're definitely both students affected by the pandemic. So what communities look like and trying to rebuild that afterwards, we really it's appreciate It's a constant source efforts. of frustration. Yeah. Is, uh, you know, I taught fundamentals of speech online. Yeah. That was a joke. <laughs> That's a joke. Public speaking is not online. Yeah. It's just, it's not. Mm -hmm. And so coming out of the pandemic, I pushed very quickly. I went right back to the classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, and at my own, at my, heck, I taught uh, fall of 2020 face-to-face -face in the wow. classroom because I couldn't, I mean, because I was Brian Hall faculty director. That was the first year I was doing it. We had all, we had 100 students come to move into Brian Hall and they didn't have any live classes. Yeah, and yeah. so the classes that they had with me were live because I'm not having them pay all that money to come to Tallahassee, buy food, rent housing, and just sit in front of a laptop. That's not a university. Mm. University is the rhetorical act of getting up, getting dressed, walking in, saying hello to people, listening to people's ideas. I, I It was unconscionable to me for us to, to not have some face-to-face -face offering. And so I was just willing to suck it up and go do it. And yeah. I still feel that way because yeah. there's still people very, very hesitant. They do hybrid and they do. And again, I know that people have health issues that they're working on. And I, and I get that. But if you're healthy and this is what you've been charged to do, darn it, the courses should be face-to-face -face in a classroom. So there, I'll get off my soapbox because I know people disagree with me on that. And some really love online and it's freed them up to do other things. And that's right. great. But my call is to teach and sitting in the Zoom room sucks the soul out of me. And, and I, I refuse to do it anymore. 
no matter what side you, one stands on that with in-person versus virtual, you cannot argue that it completely disrupted a sense of community and connection. Oh, absolutely. Students, so. students are hesitant to talk to you. They're, they're oh, yeah. more anxious. Anyway, I try to alleviate anxiety in the live setting. So do the do my best with it. Well, thank you on behalf of students. You don't have to thank me. I, I did it because it's the right thing to do, but I appreciate it. No, but on behalf of all students in the school, even McKinnon and I, we didn't have you as a professor, but I can really appreciate your passion and your approach to teaching. I haven't had the same from other professors that have been at other institutions. So for me to know that other students are receiving that quality of education is... Well, I, pre I try to bring some quality. What I, when I don't have quality, I make up for it in energy. <laughs> you know? My goal, my goal really with the class is that they become a better communicator. Okay. And I'd see the class, it's, this is the start. When this class is over, you're not done, but now you'll have the tools to get better. For those of our listeners that don't know, unfortunately, sadly, you will be leaving us this semester from the School of Communication. So obviously there's much to come in the future, which we're excited for, but what would you say is a favorite memory or a tradition that you uh, had during your time here? My favorite memory of the School of Communication would be when we were in Diffenbaugh. Okay. We were all there. Uh, our classes were in Diffenbaugh. We were right at Westcott. Um, we're walking distance to dining rooms. We students left class, followed us to our offices. So our community was very natural there. Mm. And we had a space and there were spaces for discussion and teaching and research and collegiality and interaction between students and faculty and grad students and undergraduate students. We just had a thriving community. So my uh, best memories would be when we were in Diffenbaugh. Beyond that, my best memories, it's nothing specific. Anytime a student is horrified about the prospect of giving a speech and they get up and they do it and they say, I did it. It was great. I would, I, I've got a thousand stories, but one I'll never forget was, um, I had this student that sat in this room and cried and said that she cannot give a speech. And I said to her, well, actually, you can. And I don't want you to graduate and still be afraid of this. Can we get over this? Let's just do this, you know? And so I said, can I see your outline? She said, well, I don't have an outline yet. And I said, well, then you should be terrified. Yeah. Number one, for getting rid of public speaking anxiety is preparation. Every book, if you prepare, we can deal with the anxiety. Yes. And so I said, um, Monday, come back. This was like on a Thursday or Friday, come back. And I want to see the outline. She came with the outline. It was really good. I had her read the introduction. She didn't cry. Anyway, she did it. She did the second speech. She did fine. Here's what was funny. Two years later, I go, I had, Dr. Nudd was on sabbatical and Dr. Lawrence, I think, was not teaching that fall. I can't remember what it was, but they asked me to teach the teaching oral communication class where we prepare the TAs. And so I go to the class and I had like 26 people in that class that fall. I don't know why there were so many in there. And I look out and there's Angela. 
she was in our graduate program and she was taking the teaching oral communication class. Wow. She became a TA <laughs> for 1017 and she did it for two years and she was amazing. She was probably the best I've ever had at helping terrified students because she was <laughs> she one. So she went from crying, I cannot give a speech, to being a TA for fundamentals of speech. That, that could be my favorite specific memory. Full circle. Full circle. Yeah, she. I just, I still am so proud of her. Uh, I, I really don't let the, I can't do this, I'm nervous, I need to test out. I don't allow it. You know, and I have, I sat at the front of the room and held a student's hand while they're giving the speech. I sit with them, don't make them, they're afraid to stand up because they shake. I'll sit with them up there by them while they give the speech. So let them know that speaking, you don't have to be stand up, doesn't have to be a podium with a lot of people. It can be sitting and talking to a group, that it's, it's a conversation with an audience. So just getting rid of the, the anxiety has been the greatest joy. Were you ever afraid of public speaking? Oh, sure. Everyone is. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just... Human. It's human. Yeah. We're afraid of the vulnerability. We're afraid someone's going to laugh at us. We're afraid we're going to forget what we're saying. And, and it happens to me all the time. But luckily, I had... And, it, and it's rooted in something from childhood. Like you were playing Princess Spring in the second grade play. You had one line. Ahoy, I see land. Right? And so the day you had your scepter, you had the white dress that your grandmother made, your, your other grandmother bought a tiara, and you're standing there, ahoy, I see land, because you're playing the queen. And the night, the lights were on, there's all those people, and you did the scepter, and nothing came out of your mouth, and you haven't spoken since, <laughs> because it was humiliating. Or you forgot your line, in, uh, the, forgot your line in the play, or misspelled a word in the spelling bee, yeah. Uh, you were given a speech one time and someone laughed and they weren't even laughing at you, but you took it and, and you just, it's a traumatic event that you try to avoid. Mm -hmm. I, uh, actually was raised by a father who, when I first started having give talks, my first one was seventh grade when I ran for student body president or whatever. And I'll never forget. It was about two or three weeks before the speech. And dad says, where's your, where's your draft of your speech? And I said, Dad, I don't have I don't have one. He said, the speech is in three weeks and you don't have one. I said, no, he goes, I'm voting for Steve Beebe. <gasps> Steve Beebe was the one running against me. I'm like, Dad, that's not fair. He's like, well, then I need to hear a speech. And so for the next like five or six nights, I would practice my speech. He, I remember like the third time he said, OK, I'm 50 50 now. The poll polling is even. I'm for you and CBB, but you still haven't convinced me. Oh, wow. And I would practice and practice and practice and practice. So I, I was lucky. Still nervous that day. I was terrified. But then um, I will say this. If you get good at public speaking, it opens so many opportunities. Yeah. You know, because then people will come to you. They'll say, hey, we need someone to do this. We just thought you'd be good at it. And so that's a networking opportunity. Right. And then a group will say, hey, we heard that you did this. Could you come do this? So I have been, I've done hundreds of talks all over the country with all different kinds of groups because I've um, a moderate level of competence, yeah. you know, at, at getting up and talking about various topics. I'm doing, you're going to laugh. 
but I'm, I spoke at a convention back in July of bank examiners. I did a two hour speech for people who go in and do financial regulation. I know, I know, makes no sense, but they're terrible communicators. And so what did they need? They needed what they call the soft skills, how to negotiate with people that are on an opposite side of something or how to give negative information to someone who might not be receptive or defensive. It's all that kind of stuff. I've done it, you know, all over the country. And it's been, I've been really fortunate to, I mean, it's great. I love to do that. That is fascinating. I would have never guessed the bank one. Just, oh, the bank so one? Oh, I've done physicians' that. conferences. <laughs> I've done a lot of educational conferences. I did training for FDLE for their special agents for years. Oh, I've done faculty development seminars at Clemson and other universities. And uh, it's all around communication and public speaking. When you said educational conferences at Clemson, it's a like, good thing it's not softball conferences. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Well, actually, the week I did the week I did they they I did their faculty development seminar, and it was the week after we beat them in 2011 of last minute field goal. That's it was funny. Dustin Hopkins. It was like a 53 yard field goal. We were tied. We won the game. We went nuts, and then I went to Clemson the next week, and I I stood up because they're big football fans yeah. at Clemson, and my opening line was Dustin Hopkins sends his love. Because he was our place kicker. They went, boo. <laughs> and Dustin is still one of my friends. He's the, He was a comm major, and he's the place kicker for the San Diego Chargers, for the L.A. Chargers. Really yeah, cool. he's great. Great. I helped recruit him here, had him in a couple classes, and now I'm in touch with him and his wife and his little boy. He's great. So I think this moves us into our last round of questions okay. for the podcast. So we always like to end with rapid fire questions. Okay. It's a bit more Go for lighthearted. It. I love those. Um, yeah, just a way for everyone to get the chance to know you. I know you're still going to be at FSU. But oh, yeah. Going to the College of Business. I'm going to be, I'm, I'm sad and excited. Mm. Excited for it's something new. new. I'm going to be teaching a leadership class and hopefully a business comm class in the future. Mm -hmm. And I'm working on some things in the College of Business for their freshmen. Um, I'm going to do all their Engage 100 seminars in the fall, and I'm helping them build their living learning community because the College of Business has never had one. And I've worked in helping with two. And so they want me to do that. And it's it's a great opportunity. I've got a lot of good friends over there. And I needed something to reinvigorate my passions. Well, kind of related to education and reeling back from where you are now. But did you have a dream profession when you were a child? Medicine or law. Really? Because mm. money. Yeah. Mm. I wanted money. And once I changed my value system... I don't know why I wanted money. I didn't grow up with it. My dad was a Baptist preacher, so certainly we didn't have a lot of money. But I remember I lived in South Florida, Venice, and we were not on the island. Venice is an island. And I remember I have all these great wealthy friends with boats and castle-like homes and on the beach. And we were just sort of in the southern part of the county, just normal middle class. And I remember thinking, I want a boat. I want a nice castle-like house. Mm. So I think I grew up thinking, how can I make money? And that was naive and immature. And once I uh, finally figured out, you know, 
that that wasn't going to work for me. And this is what it, what it was. But I did. I went to college and I majored in psychology and I took, like, I majored in chemistry. I took a bunch of chemistry and biochem and a lot of math. I took everything. I liked all my classes. That was the other problem when I was in college. Every class I took, I wanted to major in it. I still have all the books there. So I took biology for majors. I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to do this. And then I take American national government. And I'm like, Dr. Maris, I want to major in political science. And I took, I took acting with Dr. Gilbert. I'm like, Dr. Gilbert, I love this. And then I took intro to sociology with Dr. Vetter. I'm like, Dr. Vetter, I want to major in sociology. I loved all my classes, all face-to-face, -face, all wonderful speakers, all cared about me as a person all loved their field and took the passion for their field and put it in our in us and i don't know any other way to do it you know you're arguably too much of a well-rounded well people would say you're a generalist so you have no depth of anything i'm i'm i don't know who would say that i'm an I inch book. i'm <laughs> an inch everything. deep all over the map since you're so well-rounded no. what would you say is your favorite season Fall. Football. <laughs> I love it. I love it when it, well, first of all, I don't like heat. Okay. okay. So the summer, I feel like I'm going to combust. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, I wake up and I want to go back to bed because I'm just, it's hot. <laughs> so when it starts getting cool and the marching, you can hear the marching chiefs play and the football game is coming up. It's my favorite time That's of year. I love it. So, well, and I love Halloween and I love Thanksgiving and I love Christmas. And I love getting new clothes and I love going back to school. See, I couldn't wait growing up to go back to school. I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait for second grade. I can I loved Sunday night before classes started. We would go and they would post you we would all go and they would post which class you were in. And so you'd run to B1 and yeah. was your name there? No, B2, no, B3. It was B4, I was Pickcock. Miss Pickock, I'm in Miss Pickock's room. It was so exciting. And then you had new clothes and you laid them out. And I still feel like that in the fall. I go buy new clothes. I lay my clothes out. I get my new FSU shirt. I go to marching chiefs practice and oh my see gosh. my friends over there. I go to football practice and watch them. And I love when everyone comes back to camp. A lot of people complain, all oh, the students are back. I can't park. The roads are clogged. And I just think it's awesome. I love to go to Target when students get here because they're buying their stuff. <laughs> you know, it's the best. What is not to like about it's the fall? It's, it's fun. Cool. People it are back here and they're excited and they're at FSU and I want them to love it. I do have to say the fall of going back to school is always fun, especially when it was like year-long school years too. I think like when I was like an elementary school, oh, middle yeah. school, because like you have no idea what no, the year's going to be. No. You don't know your schedule no. going in. It's right. like, what's going to happen this year? And, and you know, there's joy in the spring too. Um, there's because softball. There's mother well, softball, there's baseball, there's basketball. I mean, I love all the sports, but there's uh, I get it now, so I'm ready. I'm right. I'm hunkered in. I'm I'm ready to go. Yeah. You know, so there's a a recommitment to the work part. Mm -hmm. I like, and I like the winter. Anytime when it's cooler, I think mine's related to temperature. So just not but the when, summer. Oh, oh, I hate it. I I just don't like summer. I mean, it's just it's it, it it's gotten hotter. You seem yeah. like a summer person, though. Well, I do. I like outdoor stuff. I bike and camp and, you know, right. do it's all that. But I, I don't know. I go, here's what I do. For 20 summers, I taught in the London program. 
it's not hot. So I do that. And then mom and dad back in the early, in 91 bought a house up in North Carolina, up in the mountains. So pretty much I get everything done and I head to the mountains. And so it's cooler there all summer. Right. It's great. <laughs> It's really the Florida summers. The Florida Florida summers. I guess it's part of its age. I can't handle the heat like I like I used to really could. It just sucks the life out of me. (laughs) So and here I am in Tallahassee. It's the one thing I've always had in common with Laura Arpin. She hates the heat like I do. And so we'll she'll be like, Oh, Marky Mark, how are you? I'm like, I'm dying. Uh, You know, it's terrible. She's going to be a guest on our next podcast she's, episode, so we'll have to ask lovely. her about it. <laughs> We're going to miss her, too. And so for our final question, we did some online stalking. Oh, and we found your Instagram, your Instagram bio. <laughs> How I found this, I run the TEDxFSU Instagram, and we followed you forever. And so I was oh, like, oh, I did. I, I was the, <laughs> I was, I was the, like, MC the first year they did it. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. So one of my former students, Julie LeBlanc, started TEDxFSU. Mm-hmm. And so when she was planning, she said, it's got to be really good. We need you to be the MC." And so I was an MC for that first day of so And you had two of my former students this past time. Jo- uh, Tiffany Joy. Oh, year. okay. Yeah. yeah. She came to visit. And then Tesh, the Tesh Gupta. That's I've wild. known him forever. They're both brilliant. They're they great. did fantastic. They year. are great. And then you had a real hunter. I another, love her. She's shopper. amazing. Sure. To be an undergrad, too, is very, very right. impressive. Oh. So yes, I did find your Instagram, and your Instagram bio says, and we've learned this throughout the interview as well, that you enjoy all things FSU. I do. So <laughs> if you had to pick out of every FSU event, <sighs> your favorite, just one. One event? One event. And you can go something general like sports, or you can say something general like theater. I'm going to I'm gonna do one. two. Okay. The homecoming parade. Okay. And graduation. Those are both good. I love them both. And I, I think graduation is just, I just think it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And I know people, you know, we always have to beg faculty to go, you don't have to beg me. I mean, it's (laughs) it's a lot of work to read all the names and stuff, but it's just the most exciting thing ever. And you get to see, like, it's the celebration of what we've been doing. So why would you not want to go to that? Yeah. You know, (laughs) and you see, particularly when you see, a young person finishing had completed their degree and really they're carrying generations of hope across the stage with them. You know, like their grandmother didn't get to go. Their mom because of finances didn't finish their degree. And here's this, you know, young lady who came here and majored in elementary ed. She's going to be a teacher. And it's just the looks on their faces right before they walk across the stage. It's unbelievable. Why wouldn't everyone in Tallahassee want to go? Like, I don't understand <laughs> why area. people don't want to go. It's okay. the best thing. And then the homecoming parade. There's nothing better than being up at Westcott and have the marching chiefs come marching up playing the fight song towards Westcott. I had to bite my lip to keep from crying. I love it. I do. I love it. It's a community celebration. And there's so much crap going on. Why would we be mad at a homecoming parade? You know, sometimes. When people are like, can't believe we're canceling classes for homecoming. I'm like, it's a parade. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with a little joy. You might try it every Red once Disney. in a while. Yeah. <laughs> Those world other two. I didn't go to this year's homecoming parade, so I've actually never been to one. Oh, so. it's fun. 
Thank you, everyone.